Cryo, Contain D, Run C. What is it? How is it all connected? Well, stay tuned and you will know. Welcome to a new episode of DevSecOps Talks with me, Matthias, Andre, and Julian. Julian, when was the first time you used Docker? Or you heard about it? Um, it was actually on, on GitHub. It was one of the projects that was trending. Yeah. And it was um, made in Python at the time. And it, it took a while. Was. Yes, yes, it oh. was in Python. Um, and it, it took a while to understand what, like, what it was doing. And then I saw cont- what they mean by containers. And then I saw it was using uh, C group and uh, Linux kernel. And I, I actually used some of those API for my uh, master's thesis like decades ago. <laughs> and uh, it, yeah, it, 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 it took off. And that was uh, the first encounter. And then, you know, hold the hype and everything. Got, yeah, it yeah. got out of control from there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 2013. Okay. Two, yeah. October 2013 is the first time I encountered it. Damn, I need to log into my Docker app and see when I create an account. Okay, I'm going to do that. Andre, your first account with Docker. Yeah, it was about the same time. I think it was about September or October 2013. I went to the meetup and I probably can find the date. I, I remember where it was. I don't remember the name of the company, but I remember the building and location was here in Stockholm. And uh, there was a demo and everyone was showing that presentation that I pretty much sure everyone saw by now with uh, Docker containers and how before we had different things of different shape. And yeah, presentation was good, but the demo basically blew me away, thanks. There was so much in the, into the concept, and uh, it's been so much promise in this thing. Just to give you uh, a little bit extreme example, but still example how it's been before. Uh, we had easy portable Linux containers. Yeah. So by then I worked for Ericsson, and we had a virtualized environment where we're supposed to log in using. Uh, remote type of screen environment and you would land uh, on a Linux machine where you have no privilege and it will be some old Red Hat distribution and then you want to run a database yeah, because you you want to prototype something or you want to try a new tool that requires a database you can issue a ticket to IT and you might get a database like in the weeks Maybe, and they will ask you what type of database you need, all the things, but you don't know because you haven't really started that project yet. Yeah. <laughs> so you need to figure out all those details. So what you end up doing is you start, you can't install, so you have to cross-compile it to run in a user space. Yeah. So you cannot install it in the system directories like user bin and the no. place libraries. And then you run into the files that you're missing a library, say so it's a whole distribution, and you start to recompile libraries locally. Yeah. And when all of that done, you have a database running of some kind of modern version. Compare that to just grabbing a container which already has database inside it, it doesn't need anything except top token runtime or container runtime installed on the host, and it's even pre-configured by some, by some clever people which are probably understand the software better than you. How cool is that? So that, that was what something that we saw in 2016, and I was like, wow. Another typical problem is you need to deploy Python application on the web server, and 
since you don't want to waste computer resources, you want to have a couple applications running side by side, sharing those resources, but they might have a depend on the different versions of libraries, and yeah. then you end up with a mess of virtual environments or virtual machines. Oh, and virtual yeah, machines yeah. were still there, but they were such a they, they came with a lot of compute overhead. So that was a problem that you could get something running really fast with a Git-like CLI, uh, which could be used by developers rather than operations such virtual machines were still pretty much in an ops world. And this was something that was supposed to connect developers with production. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I logged into my hub and it was September 2014. I created my Docker Hub account. So it's about that time, I think, that uh, I got started as well. I was actually a developer who showed me Docker the first time. Ulle and you at Fair Office. Yeah. Now, what did you think? I, I can't remember really what I thought, but... Yeah. He showed me how you can spin up things, but... Uh, but I think then we went to some Docker conference and you can see, like, the the ease of spinning up new um, new databases and, and, yeah. and get rid of this, you know, Python, it wasn't that a split, Python 2, Python 3, yes. it was also a hassle with, you know, virtual environments and dependencies, it was a big mess when you, when you had service running. Yeah. Definitely. It really, really was easing up. And then we were at the Docker conference, I don't know which year it was, 2015 or something, when Swarm was released. Mm. Yeah, it was so a long time ago. Yeah. But then there were, I remember that conference because they were showing up like all oh, Kubernetes was starting, Swarm was there. Uh, what was the other one that had also uh, orchestration with, with Docker? There was this. Uh, Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, there were a lot of different companies that show different ways in orchestrating and, and deploying yeah. and containers. And then Docker said, well, guess what? We have Swarm now. It's awesome. We can use this tool. And all the different booths were showing this. And they're like, what? Are they taking over? Yeah, um, my, with Docker, my deploy script was basically bash. It yeah. was... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and you know, in certain war stories where people try to automate like the self-healing mechanism yeah. and ended up flooding the cluster because once <laughs> one one container failed, they they didn't stop retrying, so they were spinning right. up even more container, <laughs> and then everything blew up. It's more like and and today we have communities that takes care yeah. of that. So you see, it's like the the evolution is driven right. very much by pain point. Yeah. It's like we have a problem. Let's fix that uh, because it's it, it's not like oh that would be a good idea. It's like this is so painful. We yeah. have to fix it. Probably somebody at Google were seeing this like oh come on we can <laughs> we can just release Kubernetes now and help people. I mean you see the pain they're in now with Docker Compose and everything. Let's 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 push Kubernetes out and then we're done. Mm. Yeah, just to give a, to give an overview of how it unfolded, I, I do have a little bit of timeline for you that I'm going to yeah. run through very, very nice. quickly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I, first official release happened to be on 2013, March 23rd, 2013. So yeah. it was me and uh, Julian in half a year later after it got released. And uh, and boys, they were building. So there were like releases almost every week back then. And uh, by 
by uh, November 25th of the same year, 2013, they released version 0.7.0, which were important, and uh, yeah, which is important by by the fact that if you read the changelog, it says standard Linux support. Docker now runs on unmodified Linux kernels and all major distributions. So actually, before that. Before 0.7.0, you actually had to run Ubuntu with some kernel models and stuff. So yeah. it, was, it wasn't really something that you could just bash, CRL bash, as you ever do. Right? So it wasn't supported. It wasn't in uh, distribution, so you couldn't upget it. Yeah. And uh, it required a very special file system, so you could... So it could do read write. Uh, or was it read on uh, write on uh, copy on write, copy and write file systems exactly. Yeah. And also in zero point seven, they started to support more. So they supported only AUFS, but they also support device mapper and VFS. Oh. Then fast forward to the. To the 9th of June 2014, about a year ago, uh, about, about a year since then, uh, we have uh, actual first official release, which is uh, 1.0, where they promised the production, which is quite impressive. Since within about one year and a half since first release, they actually went to be able to guarantee production stability. And uh, by that time, actually, you had Amazon announcing ECS, you had Kubernetes coming out of stealth mode, you had uh, HashiCorp Nomad, and I believe a year later, they announced the Swarm, which no one really needed. <laughs> because there were like so many alternatives to it. Yeah. And uh, another thing is that during just a couple of years, we went through evolution of ideas, right? So we first got, got Docker CLI. So now we can run a container of something that someone pre-baked for us. We can download it from internet. We could reproducibly deploy software. We have basically, we have immutable infrastructure which is just great yeah but our applications does not consist of one single process there are usually multiple pieces interacting with each other front end back end database what have you or if you are very fancy you're doing microservices so you actually need to run multiple containers together and let them interact within the same network space potentially you have uh, maybe shared volumes and stuff, and shared DNS space. So there were a lot of projects. One of them was called Fig, which evolved to be a Docker Compose, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, Docker Compose allowed us to run uh, multiple containers together as a single application, having a shared namespace, having links between them, dependencies and stuff. Uh, on a single host, right? But that wasn't good enough, since uh, 
we want to have clusters. We don't want to have a single host. And Docker Compose was fine for local prototyping. Maybe you could put up something on a single server if you don't need a chain. But then we also needed a next step, a next evolution, where we would abstract from the hardware available to us and manage multiple machines, multiple nodes, and distribute containers over them. So that needed a a, a different tool set, a more high-level abstraction, which is container orchestrator, such as ECS, Kubernetes, Nomad, and stuff that we mentioned before. And all of that was happening between 2013 till 2016, 17. By 2017, it was clear that Kubernetes is taking yeah. the lead. And we can call this period as a orchestrator wars, since no one really knew uh, what's going to be the next what what's what gonna stay, right? Because if you're building startup in 2014, you have those options. You need yeah. to do a technology bad. And if you're wrong, you would have to redo it a couple yeah. of years down the line. So anyhow, going back to the timeline, uh 2016, 13th of April, uh the Docker distribution in, in version 1.11 got split into four pieces. It got Docker CLI, it got Docker Container D, it got Docker Container D Shim, and Docker Run C. Yeah. And we actually want to talk about those a little bit later when we're done with the timeline, and we're going to be done quite soonish. Then, uh, about one year from uh, 2016, release 1.13.1, it is 2017, 8th of February. What they're saying is that uh, since this release, they're going to be doing something else. They're going to be changing the way how they uh, how they name releases. So they go from semantic versioning to the year, months uh, semantics. So yeah. the next release was actually 17.0, uh, 0.03.0. So it, it will have year, months, and then the patch number. But what also happened there, we got Dash CE, and this is one of the failing attempts by Docker Inc. Don't confuse it with the Docker Open Source. There is a Docker Inc., which is a company to make money. So Docker Inc., during its existence, and Docker Inc. was the company behind Docker Open Source, uh, they were trying to make money out of the software, which was open source. And one of the attempts was to do a CE community edition and then EE enterprise edition. And uh, didn't go so well for them, I would say. Uh, And then also in 2017, they announced that there will be a Mobi project. And uh, I'm gonna gonna quote from the article. What 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 it says is, Docker was originally developed in one code base that held everything the project needed. This uh, ranged from the container runtime and the image builders right through the to storage providers, network management, and the CLI. As Docker adoption ballooned in the mid part of the last decade, this all-in-one approach was absorbed to not to be holding back the broader ecosystem. Complementary tools couldn't build on a specific pieces of Docker as nothing was companionized. Com-po-ni-ni-tized. 
Language is hard. External vendors had to bring in Docker entire sprawling platform. Core functional units such as container D were rapidly split into standalone modules. The community could now create new container systems without reinventing the runtime that mediates with the kernel to start container instances. Other components like RunC and HyperKit followed being separated from the Docker project and then pulled back into Docker engine releases as modular dependencies. So actual Docker repository became MobiMobi, and then from Mobi, you will build Docker CE and Docker EE, and Mobi Mobi is still around. And uh, it's an umbrella project for components that you can use to build stuff. Like, think of that as a cloud native computing foundation, right? Of some yeah. kind. Open source and uh, and independent from uh, distribution. Then you had a build kit, which came uh, into existence in uh, September release of eight, uh, 2018. So the Docker, the container runtime distribution we know Docker as Docker, included into itself part of the Mobi project called BuildKit, which uh, allowed uh, a lot of innovation happening from the way how we build Docker, we will touch on that. For instance, uh, you might heard about Docker Build X, and that is built on top of the build kit. Then uh, in 2019, uh, as I mentioned before, through its lifetime, Docker Inc. failed to make money. And by 2019, the enterprise part of Docker, so they they did a, a, a multiple of uh, enterprise projects. So it was uh, Docker uh, Universal Contraplane, Docker Trusted Registry, yeah. or some other, other stuff that they were trying to sell. But it was really hard since open source were building analogs to what they had faster than they could innovate. Yeah. And uh, in 2019, Mirantis acquired uh, the enterprise part. Then, uh, in uh, uh, 2020, we got something interesting. We uh, Actually, no, in uh, 2019 as well, we got something interesting, which were that people have been talking about for quite some time, since in order to run Docker, you need to have root access. Since you're dealing with Linux containers, uh, enterprise security didn't really like that a lot sites and all developers would have root on the machines where they need to run Docker. So the way to run Docker rootless was always high on the agenda and was quite a controversial topic. So in uh, Docker Engine 19.03, rootless mode was introduced in experimental mode and it became a... general available, it graduated from experimental mode with Docker Engine 20.10, which is quite recent. And uh, like judging by myself, somewhere after 2016 and 2017, I stopped noticing what's going on in the Docker realm, really. Yeah. Since the Docker build file format 
stable. It's not changing much, right? The commands and CLI also kind of stable. So you really need to follow the project to know all those peculiar details that they were adding. And this is actually our attempt to catch you up with uh, everything that happened. Fast forward to 2020, and uh, we actually have uh, experimental availability of Docker Compose rewritten in Golang and being a part of Docker distribution. So before that, Docker Compose was written in Python, was a side project adapted by Docker and maintained by Docker Inc., I guess, and Docker maintainers. It was written in Python, and you would need to install that through pip or through apt, but that will be a separate thing from Docker. And uh, you would call it docker-compose to invoke. With docker-compose part of Docker, now you can do docker-compose, and you can still create alias to docker-compose, and so your old scripts are working. And they bring a general backward compatibility with it. Those are improvements and uh, new features available for Docker Compose. And I think they are going to enforce Docker Compose V2, how they call it, in 2023. So this is something uh, to keep in mind. I actually ran uh, into that myself uh, months ago, where we have... um, uh, How do you say? Like uh, E2E test harness which is orchestrated by Docker Compose. And I was trying to run it locally on a modern Ubuntu latest version, I think, on 22.04. And I actually got Docker Space Compose. (laughs) Scripts didn't work, and I had to tinker with it. So, and since you as us might not be aware of all the innovations happening in a Docker build system and uh, Docker itself, I have a very short list of things for you to consider. Those are noticeable features released during the last three to four years. Multi-stage builds that we mentioned multiple times, a great feature that allows you to compile your software in the first stage, in the first container, and then copy to the second clean container and discard the first one with all the uh, leftovers of your build, uh, allowing you to create a really nice small images. Imagine that you can build a, the Golang and then import it to the next stage will be a scratch container, yeah. just leaving all the Golang uh, uh, SDK and uh, build kit behind. Then, uh, you ha- then you have ability of pass SSH agent to the Docker build or process. And uh, this is huge if you need to, for instance, build Golang and, for instance, access GitHub and download some private uh, repositories. Also, you're now able to pass secrets to Docker build process. And as you know, you had environment and, and, uh, and uh, argument flags that you could pass. But those would be preserved in the Docker build history. And with Docker Inspect, you can retrieve the secret values passed to the build. With secrets, it's not the case. They will be discarded, and you will not be able to see the values when expecting the images, which were two big pains, I would say. Passing SSH and passing secrets were two big pains. They addressed. And I think you will need to enable Docker build kit to get access to those. Another big thing is uh, remote cache. So, and I believe that was a part of open source uh, 
ecosystem that was brought yeah. into Docker. So Docker benefited from this feature, where, for instance, if you're building uh, your images on CI machines or, or on a GitHub actions, public workers, you will not have a cache from previous build, which means that Docker will have to rebuild every single layer. But with remote cache, you could specify the registry, Docker registry, and say, use that one as a remote cache. And when building, Docker can compare hashes existing in the in a in a remote registry and then download layers comparing to building them locally and only rebuild the layers that it doesn't have in the remote registry. By doing so, you're speeding up process immensely. For instance, I have a, a, in one of the projects, I have an R image, you know, the, the data science language, which takes one hour to build with all these dependencies and waiting for pipeline each and every time for one hour is a lot of waste for developers. If they change something, it doesn't change the Docker. Yeah. So with remote cache, we're actually able to skip the build, saying like, yeah, it's the same, all good. Then uh, within the Docker specification, Docker build specification itself, what you write in your Docker file, there are now health checks. So you can specify a health check in a build in a Docker build, and then it looks like Docker will be able to health check your containers. I don't know why you want to do that. It's usually uh, done by orchestrators, but it's there. And uh, another thing that I found uh, while preparing for the show, which I wasn't aware of, is now the Docker file supports here documents, which means that you can actually do a proper multi-line scripts with one run command. And don't, you know, escape the end lines and all of that stuff. Plus, you can even inline create files with a hair document. So this is something to Google, and I believe that will be advantageous for a lot of us. And finally, the, 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 the feature that kind of existed a long time, but very little known, is that when you're using add and copy instructions in a Docker file, you can actually specify dash dash change owner. And instead of them being, instead of files created as root, you yeah. can create them as a user and group you actually need. So ah, with cool. this, I'm done with a, with a brief history of Docker from 2013 to 2022, plus some tips on top. Wow, nice. Well Good. done. I didn't know about that. You can specify the, the username. I only do like copy and then run command after setting the permissions. But you look, you, you uh, learn something from listening yeah, to the yeah, show. Well, but I also remember the beginning. I mean, as you said, in the beginning, you needed to keep track. When you started, with, for example, with Docker Compose, uh, remember when it changed from like version one to two to three, everything changed, man. Your Compose file didn't even work. Mm-hmm. So. And they, they, so it was a lot of development, a lot of breaking changes. But as you say, now it's just standard. I don't, I don't yeah, with, do, with Docker file to enable those new features, you actually yeah. need to specify a special directive on top and yeah. specify the version of Docker file specification you are using. Yeah. So, like Joel, like change owner will work because it's a quite old feature, but yeah. very little people know about it. Uh, I think for secrets. Yeah, it should work. You just need to enable build kit. But for some newer things, I believe like a here too, 
docs, you probably will need to have to specify a newer version of the Docker file specification. Yeah. It's funny because there is many um, other projects try to get rid of Dockerfile, like a build packs. Yeah. You can specify just the, the... You don't even have to specify the type of language. It will figure out if your app uh-huh. is standard enough uh, and, and build it automatically. Um, I, I think I, I didn't like it because it's like... A, I, I'm kind of used to Docker files now and yeah. I, I don't like those kind of magic that, yeah, yeah we'll yeah. do it for you and then it doesn't work and you're like, what do I do now? And you drown into Stack Overflow issue and uh, GitHub issue and those kind of things. You, you know what's going to happen in 20 years? What? Today we are complaining about people leaving make files behind all over <laughs> the place, like old school guys. <laughs> We're going to be like them, but leaving Docker files behind. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Yeah. But, but, but I mean, two, two important things happen, right? I mean, Docker is now like the standard way or like containers. You should say container. It's a standard way. And one of the great things is like that we have two standards now, right? One is for running and one is for images, right? Um, yes. Um, so uh, who want to take the running part and who want to take the image part of you? Well, I, I think it's came more like a, something throughout the history. It's more like... Yeah. Hey, we have do- that many tools. They all claim to do containers. Maybe we should standardize that. You yeah. know the, the the famous XKCD. We have sixteen competing standards. We need one standard to aggregate them all, and then yeah. you have seventeen. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it little bit turned out that way because th- there's always trade-offs in yeah. anything, and the OCI part is very much the one that runs the container. So they, they, when we talk about container, we differentiate between the container image, which is basically a zip of file system layers that contains the, the code, the binary, or whatever executable you want to run. And then you have the container in memory yeah. uh, that, that is actually running and has uh, it's a process. Yeah. Uh, and there is all, all those kind of things that, you know, we call them container, but container doesn't contain. Uh, if you run the container as root, you are root on yeah. the machine. And this is where people started to frown upon. <laughs> and so they say, but no, we want isolation like VM, but without the cost of VM. Because yeah. the, the, the way, the reason really the, this container thing took over the industry is because they would save millions by bin packing uh, you know, Docker image on servers. Before, you needed to allocate the VM and it was like statically allocated. So for gigs of RAM, you yeah. cannot use that for anything else. Here, it's more, hey, we set soft limit, you know, kind of, you can yeah. just, if it doesn't use, you can pack more application onto one server. And if you have like 20 server, it does, you don't really feel it. If you have like 20,000, it's, it turns out to be uh, very good for the planet. So you don't have just a, a data center that just blow air. Yeah. Because uh, even in the cloud, people pay for a really powerful machine and it, that runs at 5% CPU. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's insane the amount of waste that is going on uh, in there. And so, you know, whether you use it or not, you rented it. So, you know, the, the cloud is not going to complain. Your cloud provider is not going to say, hey, maybe you should pay us less. <laughs> <laughs> So, so that, that's I mean, 
if you go back to the standard standard way now one is for images right how you specify your image how the image is going to be stored how the image is going to the layers right everything about how you work with your container image oh, right the other one is what? The, yeah i'm a what if we go back to 2016 and announcements they did in 1.10? Yeah. Where they split Docker binary exactly. into the yeah. multiple pieces. And what they had there was uh, it was uh, container D yeah. and run C. Run C. I, worked with, I, I, I worked with Docker quite a lot, like working with it every day. Well, yeah. with Linux containers, I shouldn't be saying Docker, but with Linux so, containers. So what, is, what is container D then? But I'm still clueless. Like I, I wouldn't <laughs> distinguish one from another. <laughs> so Julian, the, maybe the, you, you you can enlighten us a little bit. A little bit. So they, let's talk about mainly what Docker has done, and then let's leave the Kubernetes and you know um, yeah. SCNCF yeah. landscape for a while. So so Docker, they they decided to split content like the main Docker binary into uh, different. Uh, the, the Docker code base into different code base. Yeah. Container D is the one that interacts with the Docker CLI. So when you type Docker PS to see the list of your container, right. this yeah. is actually uh, send execute code that is in container D. Yeah. So right. it, it just it, it just massage the input and just like okay. Well, that's what they call Docker, Docker daemon, basically. That's a, that's a server that serves the API endpoint that. Uh, Docker yeah. CLI will call. Okay. And, yeah. and so container D, it doesn't do anything by itself. What it does, it talks to run C. Yeah. Run C, run C talks to the kernel. So that's how that's right. the chain. And yeah. so the, in the middle between container D and run C, there is this OCI spec. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that, that's why they, they standardize that in order to say, hey, you know, you can switch, you can swap any tool you want. That is mm. compatible with that spec, so you don't. Maybe you know, run run C doesn't have all the feature you want. Maybe you want something more performant. Just build your own. And this is where we went. Some companies took it even a degree of isolation further. Meaning it's like, hey, VMs are kind of nice. You know, we have a lot of control. We've been using the, them for decades. Ah. We have a lot of tooling. Let's let's deal with that. And so, for instance, uh, Amazon made Firecracker. Which yeah. is not uh, OCI compatible, but it's mm -hmm. a very much a lower layer, uh, like closer to the kernel, and mm -hmm. provide a, a great, like a more isolation than just containers. Yeah. And it's very much useful for all those serverless uh, platforms that you, you just give a piece of code, and they have to run that in a sandbox environment. So, so you understand you have trade off. You could do the same with exactly you know. Docker, mm. but the penalty of starting the container is mm. an order of magnitude bigger. Yeah. So you understand, mm. like this is this is why the, the the spec is nice, but even the spec might be too high level for some use cases yeah. if right. you are a cloud provider and want to run serverless. So, so what you're saying is that you have like the the command line you run on your computer, like Docker PS. Yes. It connects to the backend server. We call it like Continuity. Yes. But Continuity doesn't start anything, doesn't do anything. It connects to run C API. to start right the service. Exactly. But you can also, it's an, it's an API between Continuity and run C. So you can yes. 
point it to Firecracker or I can't remember Google's to have G Gvisor. Yes. Gvisor. So meaning that instead of uh, container D talk we run C and start a small Docker on your computer, it can talk to uh, Firecracker and start something on Amazon. Doesn't matter. It would be the same API in the background. So that's the right. funny thing is that yeah. if you want to talk, if you want Container D to talk to Firecracker, you have to come up with your own uh, OCI layer yeah. that will talk to Firecracker, and Firecracker mm. will talk to KVM, and KVM will talk yeah. to the Linux kernel. So you you yeah. have like <laughs> it, 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 there is a lot of but you know it's much simpler than if you had to implement C group and yeah. namespace right. yourself directly in the kernel. So it's a nice abstraction. Because at scale, you want something that's kind of like, hey, just do this. And all the automation part is is done. You know, yeah. you say, hey, create those group, assign that memory, you know, th those kind of, of things. Is The more we automate, the more layer of abstraction we have. Yeah. Because right. we, we, we actually don't want to deal with that uh, on a yeah. daily basis. Right. So let, me, let, let me sum it up. So yeah. as Matthias said, I think we missed to mention this uh, in the beginning. So because... For some people, they might think that their Docker CLI command that they run yeah. uh, is actually doing things. It's not doing anything. It's basically just sending the HTTP requests to the yes. server, which could be running on your machine, could be running on a remote machine. You can configure that so you can run your yeah. Docker CLI and can control Docker server on a remote host, which used to be the case back in 2013 and 2014. A lot of people got hung this way because they exposed <laughs> Docker socket yeah. to the internet and people were just connecting to their <laughs> Docker socket and starting containers on their machines and mining. Bitcoin, yeah. Bitcoin, Bitcoin. That, didn't, that, didn't, that didn't cost much back then, but well, who, who would knew? <laughs> Anyhow, yeah. so, and then uh, Container D is, uh, is just API server for the Docker CLI to call and run C something called container runtime, which actually runs container if we, if we take it from its name. All right, so then yeah. the Julian shared a couple of pictures with us before, and one yeah. of the pictures I saw something called CRI container D. What yeah. is that? That's uh... When, when Kubernetes started, they wanted a, a standard API to talk with uh, services that start containers, right? Right. So then they come up with this container runtime interface, which is a standard, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so, so Kubernetes only want to talk with these tools that has this standard, right? Okay. And, and Docker, Docker support this with the Docker shim. So then mm -hmm. Docker support the standard. But then, then you also have uh, the cryo, which is another way of starting containers that also uh, support this. Right. So it's oh. uh, so if you're talking about your Docker client, you know when you run Docker PS, hmm. Kubernetes is one of those clients, and they want to talk with with Container D to then start containers with Run C. But mm. in the beginning, uh, but, but Kubernetes said, no, we want a standard here so we can talk with many different uh, providers. Right. And, all that. and Cryo is that standard way of talking with Kubernetes backends, more or less. But, it, but it's also a container runtime, no? CRI.io. Or is it just container, a standard? Container, no, it's a, it's a 
So there, <laughs> that's the beauty of yeah. that landscape is that naming is hard. Yeah. Uh, but basically, let's start from like Kubernetes doesn't run containers; it's orchestrated. Right. Yeah. Yes. So, so it, on the on the machine, you need something that actually starts and stops containers and reports mm. some metrics. Yeah. And, yeah. and this is where the CRI comes in. It's like, hey, let's standardize that so that you can have maybe a cluster with different, uh, you know, let's say you have different architecture and Docker doesn't support, you know, your architecture of CPU. Right. And yeah. you, need, you need a different, um, you know, container runtime. So then you use the one that fits your use case. And yeah. then from the, the CRI, it doesn't prevent you to build, to vertically integrate everything if you have a specific yeah. use case. It's uh, as long as you uh, abide by the API, uh, the spec, I should say, the spec, the CRI spec, yeah. you 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 can run communities. Yeah. And that, that makes it like a valid node in a Kubernetes cluster, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so the, there is many, and so some of them are, I think, uh, for instance, Run C is the official OCI, uh, say, open container initiative interface, something yeah. like that. And... Uh, so that's the, the reference implementation. But Gvisor is the one from Google. Yeah. You also have a Kata container. I never use them. As, uh, yeah, sure. pictures the first time I saw it. So, but there is apparently Kata container out there. Yeah, and okay. ma many others, many that we don't know about, and some right. of them as advantages of others, notably because of uh, performance. But hmm. so I think it's going to be more and more. This is a really cool feature here that you can have your cluster running, and then you can specify more or less maybe later where you want to have your application running. You want to run it on... Yeah, yeah. and another thing is... Together, or, or should this be a VM, right? If you deploy a database ring, instead of a stateful set, you use Gvisor, and then it's VM running instead. Uh, exactly. Yeah, what we missed to mention is Docker support in Windows. Ooh. Ooh, that was yeah. could, could we miss the, the big thing? Oh, so yeah. the first oh. was a Docker support and Windows, and then we had Windows containers. But didn't that start when they added the Ubuntu kernel into? No, 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 no. Like with the Windows container, you run Windows Core, I believe it is. Yeah. Which uh, back in the day when I was exposed to that ecosystem, it was about one gigabyte base image. Uh, which... Yeah, let's talk I about know. those edge use case that uh, I, I saw once a Docker image with 127 JVM. Oh. I mean, why not? Uh, you know, why not? Because I can. You, <laughs> you know that uh, now, you know, even in machine learning, there is a lot of models that get inserted. Yeah. So when I say model, just think of it as a big binary containing yeah. the weight of the mm. model, um, mm. it's uh, it, then you have to run that, and it gets very easily, you know, a few gigabyte of image, and so that has implication as well for well, does it still make sense to put it in a container? Why not just put it into a VM? Uh, right. But the, the problem is that when you start mixing containers, VM, and everything, is that so it's a portability? I guess what you're gaining from it, right? Sorry? It's a portability. What you're exactly. Doing. So it's exactly. a packaging and portability. 
And if you look like, uh, I, I don't have a virtual box anymore, but uh, mm. you know, sometimes you can export and import VMs and you see, you have to select the type of VM it yeah, supports. Yeah. So the, you, you're like, oh no, that format doesn't support that feature. And that, right. and so yeah, yeah. you are in the, you have to make so many decisions when all you want is just run that thing. And so that's why the container is very useful. It's because, yeah, that, hey, that, that was the primary promise of Docker, right? Build once, run everywhere. That's a, yeah, that was really funny because they said that in like 2014. Yama. And in basically, it's a, yeah, <laughs> run everywhere on a Linux machine with the latest kernel. That, that was, <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that was the, the everywhere because I, I started asking, so you can run it on phones. It's like, no, yeah. can you run it on Windows? Oh, no. Can you run it on my old box? Ah, oh, no. <laughs> so it's like, but it, it's the idea. It's, that's the marketing. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. That's the marketing. It's the idea. It's the, it's the dream. What but, the, or, or, or we're getting closer to that. I mean, so many yeah, times. I mean, we, right, right, right now, you pretty much can run it everywhere. Yeah. Ah, no, you, you forget. You forget. <laughs> you, you have an M1 uh, Mac, MacBook uh, ARM architecture. You yeah. cannot run. You can basically by, uh, you know, emulating uh, x86 uh, but th then you, you also have like why doesn't it work why is that and as soon as you have a little bit of dependency that needs to be compiled you in a world of pain uh, it's getting better but th this idea that one day we will just abstract away and everybody will use the same is, is just like I, I don't but I stopped I lost all yeah, hope for that Julian, you're too idealistic in this approach. It's a leadership. Leader points a direction. Everyone moving. That's the direction that we have got. They're moving in that direction. And it's a positive movement. Exactly. But it's so nice, you know, you have some task. I had some that are going to dump some data for a MongoDB and then add it to S3. You test it locally, it's working great. You log into the server, it's Ubuntu dating 10 12 years old right hmm. nothing works right okay what should i do now okay maybe i can get a docker on it if you manage to build docker on that one then you're good then you can just take what you build on your machine now 10 years in the future and just run it and it works right hmm. or just or just scrub the linux machine for good yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's very much the case like uh, many of those uh, legacy app yeah, uh, and that's the problem I I faced like so many times. Is they still use the file system a lot for logs for everything? Mm. And so once you are, you know, containers are great when the the applications is kind of you know twelve factor app application. Yeah. So like don't write to the file system, write to STD out and those kind of yeah, things. Yeah. The the thing that you can actually plug where you want it to go, you know, yeah. for. And if they use the file system, it's really not, it becomes stateful. And so everything stateful is just um, 10 times harder to deal with and to NFS recover. To, to from. A rescue. NFS to a rescue. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you laugh, but sometimes you imagine you cannot load a huge amount of file. You, can, you cannot put the huge amount of file or data inside a container. You, you need to uh -huh. load it from somewhere. On top you, of that, running Jenkins and container and needs to store its build information somewhere. NFS. <laughs> yes. Um, well, in Amazon world, it's called EFS and it yeah, worked yeah. beautifully with ECS. 
So. Yeah, and you know, it's more like, a, but what I mean is really that people coming into this space right now, they look at that and there's like, what is going on? Yeah. You don't, they never had to deal with managing a bunch of Linux, uh, like at least two machine, two Linux machines going to SSH and building your own script to see what's happening and then trying Ansible and realizing you, you just destroyed half the cluster because yeah. the version of one of the thing is, is not the same. And yeah, so, so you have a bit of a learning curve there. Mm-hmm. And it becomes incredibly difficult to just explain all the history and context and right. we, we, I feel we are losing this uh, knowledge. You know, like soon it, we, we're going to be the neck beard people who <laughs> are the only one in the world who know that stuff. <laughs> so, maybe, but, maybe for better, maybe for good. Yeah. I, I have a, another question for you. In the beginning, we have Docker and then we have Rocket. You remember Rocket? Yeah. I think. Uh, what happened to Rocket? It's they, yeah. they they got swallowed by Red Hat, so yeah. Corus got acquired by oh, Red yeah. Hat. And, and the funny thing is that after that, Red Hat got acquired by uh, IBM. IBM. Yeah. The, the, the funny thing is that the people who, who built Corus were actually, um, or the people who leave IBM for Red Hat, got you know hired back kind of by force. Yeah. <laughs> and you, well, anyway, please ask your question, uh, Rocket. <laughs> Yeah, well, is there any alternative to Docker? I mean, now we have the standard, to right? C, right? It's run C that needs the alternative. Docker is basically a compilation of stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But a different way of running. Run C. Do we have any other things? So depending on the use case, if you just want to run containers, we, yeah. we basically cover the, the Gvisor, run C, yeah. works fine. Uh, if you want to run it on your laptop, meaning that you need a command line and something, you have a Podman, you have the, the Docker CLI with co- Container D, and you have Cryo, which is, yeah. and that's the thing. The, the, the problem, if you use Podman and Docker, yeah. you will see that one doesn't see the image of the other. So yeah. if you build it with Podman, you will not see the image in Docker, although they are compatible. Yeah, and so, and so this is the kind of thing like, yeah, you just change the tool. It's never the case. And so you always have to ch- pick one. Uh, I usually pick the main ones until you figure out your use case. And if you feel that you need something more like, you know, different, maybe yeah. go see, go browse elsewhere, see what's there. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, any last words about Docker or have you rented out everything? Other is other thing we can rent out. I I think I'm really sad that they 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 could not make a successful like business out of this product, yeah. and it made me realize how much open source is actually a marketing platform rather than really uh, you know if you look at the percentage of contribution on famous project, there are just few main contributors and all the rest are one-off and to the governance of a project, meaning where do you want to take it? What kind of feature should go it is, is becoming incredibly important. And that's where I I see that the, the CNCF foundation and the Linux foundation are quite important in that sense that they, they kind of keep all the, a a little bit of uh, accountability to the project and, and those kind of things. So, so, we can wonder, yeah, the CNCF landscape, it's a bit of like 
too much, but uh, th there is a reason for that. And uh, it's better to have too many choices than not enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I'm going to close with um, with this. Uh, I think the split of Docker and Mobi project and all of the other projects that grew up of the innovation spree we had from 2016, uh, 2013 and upwards is good. And uh, if you still feel that you want to be on edge and uh, want to try something new from this space, I got you covered with uh, what it's going to be. So I, I would like to introduce you to Nerd CTL. <laughs> Nerd CTL. What? Nerd what CTL. Is what is a new CTL? If yeah. we read from, I'm, I'm quoting from the article, the UI and UX of Nerd CTL is same as Docker and Podman. So if you're already familiar with Docker or Podman, you're already familiar with Nerd CTL as well. But unlike Docker and Podman, Nerd CTL has several interesting features such as running a container ahead of completion of pulling the image, lazy pulling, running a container from encrypted image. And generally, they say that it's not a competitor to Docker, but the idea is to use it as an innovation lab where they play around with the newer features, again, like encrypted container uh, images and uh, lazy pooling, and there are other differences. And I heard that actually people like it better than Docker CLI since it's actually run better on Mac. Mm -hmm, cool. So you see this componentization yeah. of Docker yeah. helped people to create a newer project and innovate yeah. using those components. And then that innovation got pulled back to the original ecosystem of Docker, and everyone benefits. Someone yeah. gets to innovate and live on edge, and someone who might be like a little bit slower to adopt stuff, like myself, I'm more consumer, I don't see myself on edge, but I'm benefiting from that innovation as well. I'm not lagging behind too much. A little bit, but not too much. Mm. So don't lag behind. Don't fall behind. Don't fall behind. <laughs> Famous word. Okay, I think with that we will end this madness about the Docker landscape and what do you call it? Standardization? I don't know. Bus. <laughs> Bus. Yes. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the DevSecOps podcast with Matthias, Andre, and Julian. For more podcast and notes, go to the webpage devsecops.fm. Thanks for tuning in.